Hey, everybody. We're glad to have you with us again. We're doing, uh, <laughs> we're doing Acts chapter 11 in this episode. So let's see what God's word has for us. Verses 1 through 3. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. The church heard that the gospel reached the Gentiles. When Peter came to Jerusalem, a group of Jews took issue with him. These are the circumcised. They were more concerned that Peter had eaten with uncircumcised or non-Jewish people than they were that a new people group had been introduced to salvation. They believed that Moses, the law of Moses, uh, still applied to salvation, and they were very zealous about it. In their defense, they had not yet been introduced to the understanding that the law was completed in Jesus. They did not have the entire New Testament yet. This is, this is a moment of transition um, from the old covenant to the new, so everybody around was still learning. Eating with someone in that time as well, was a sign of acceptance and fellowship, which gave even more significance to the vision that Peter had in chapter 10. They understood the situation as Peter was fellowshipping or accepting a Gentile, without that Gentile coming under the law like they were. Verses 4 through 14. But Peter began speaking, and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet, lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord. For nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house, and he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa, and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here, and he will speak words to you, by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Peter recounts to the Jewish people that were present how he was led by the Spirit to do what he did. He included the vision, his response to the vision, his trip, and Cornelius's vision of an angel. And, of course, we covered all that in the last episode, Acts chapter 10. So, verses 15 through 17. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Peter also recounted that he spoke to Cornelius 
And when he did, the Holy Spirit fell on those in the household, just like in Pentecost from chapter 2. With that feeling, Peter remembered that Jesus had mentioned that those following him would be baptized differently than John. John's baptism, John the baptizer, was with water. But those following Jesus would receive the Holy Spirit. So this filling of the Spirit to the Gentiles was part of the fulfillment of Jesus' word. Peter's final argument was if they were given the same gifts that the the Jews received in Pentecost, how could he place himself in the way? Peter had three defenses. A vision on both sides, from Peter and from Cornelius, the Spirit's leading, and the fulfillment of God's word. Unlike the Samaritans, who received salvation through the laying of the apostles' hands, Cornelius and his household received the Holy Spirit when they trusted God, like we do today. God was obviously working for His glory. Now, wouldn't it be great if the church as a whole were this skeptical, to say that only the Bible can penetrate the church? This would cut off false teaching in the churches if we were simply to check what we are being taught against the Bible and against the Holy Spirit that resides in us. Verse 18. Then, when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. After they knew it was God's hand at work, Then they rejoiced with Peter that the Gentiles had now received repentance as well. This began to separate the church from the Jewish religion. It was not just an add-on to the Judaism. It was Christianity composed by the hands of God. Unfortunately, this was not the end of the legalistic streak. We will see later on in the book of Acts, chapters 14 and 15, that some legalistic teachers will attack Paul and will invade churches to change what they believe. They believed, possibly genuinely, that one needed the law and Jesus. Verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. The Christians had scattered all throughout because of the persecution and martyrdom of Stephen. They spoke solely to Jews, but now they were scattering to Gentile nations. It's important to note to keep which Antioch is correct in the text, which which Antioch city it's speaking about. There were about 16 different Antiochs in the early church times. This Antioch was probably the capital of Syria, uh, some 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was the greatest of the Antiochs. It had a population of about 500,000, and it was the third largest city of the Roman Empire, Rome being the first and Alexandria being the second. Um, The main street was more than four miles long, paved with marble, and lined on both sides by marble colonnades. It was the only city in the ancient world at that time that had its streets lighted at night. A busy port and a center for luxury and culture, Antioch was a wicked city, perhaps second only to Corinth. Though all the Greek, Roman, and Syrian deities were honored, the local shrine was dedicated to Daphne, whose worship included immoral practices. And this is a quote specifically from um, Mr. Warren Worsby. Um, It was a beautiful city, but it was known for its gross 
immorality and ritual prostitution. Verses 20 and 21. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Some men from different places came to this Antioch and began preaching of the Lord to the Gentiles. The amazing thing is that Gentiles began to come to the Lord. God guided these men so that a large number of them came to Him for salvation. This is another indication that God truly is involved in the evangelism process. He guided these men to speak to the right people at the right time in the right place. God truly is awesome and worthy to be praised. He did that with us as well. Verses 22 to 24. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then, when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced, and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. The news of these converts reached Jerusalem, and so the church at Jerusalem sent out Barnabas to go investigate. When he arrived, he saw that these people were truly saved. So he encouraged them to remain true to God and to his word. Through God's leading and Barnabas' encouragement, many more came to the Lord. Barnabas helped guide the new converts into the path that honored God. The word mentions that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. Now he was full of the power of God. Now, can we be full of the Holy Spirit? Now we'll learn more about this in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But yes, we can. It depends on our relationship with God. With this filling comes renewed worship to God and thanksgiving. We see this in Ephesians 5, 18-20. It is not just a one-time event, as we see it many times in Acts. And it is not solely accompanied with the gift of tongues, like with the Pentecostals belief. If you want to go more into this doctrine, we'll speak about it soon. Verses 25 and 26. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Barnabas left the new believers to go to Tarsus to find some help. Saul of Tarsus, the Christian persecutor, became Christian. <laughs> they both stayed at Antioch for a year, and they taught the congregation, which were many in number. Okay, so what can we learn here? Here is where we first get our now common name, Christian. This word means little Christ, or belonging to Christ, which was the intent of all the Christians at that time. Christianity was not necessarily a popular thing in that time. It was something new. In time, it even came to the point of persecution, as we will see in some of the books of the New Testament. So the question comes to us is, are we saved? Did we simply believe out of social pressure to be like everyone else around us or for hell insurance to avoid hell? We must be careful and aware of how we accepted Christ and how we lead others to do the same. We don't become saved to add Christ to our current life. We don't say the prayer and then continue on with life. We must measure the cost, which is to surrender my desires and sacrifice them for God's. 
It is to put my faith and my confidence in the work that Jesus truly did when he came to earth and died for us. It's interesting to note that the converted people did not call themselves Christians. Instead, they were so different from the community that the community started calling them Christians. Can you see that change in your life of slowly becoming more like Christ? I like what Otis Fuller said, quote, If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? End quotes. There's a call to non-Christians and immature Christians to search themselves and confirm. For mature Christians, there's a calling as well. Barnabas called Saul out and took him under his wing for a while. All of them were new at Christianity, but Barnabas went out of his way to search out for Saul and have him serve in the ministry with him. Those that are mature need to take others and help them mature by being with them. Verses 27 to 29. Now, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution to the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And verse 30, And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. God revealed to a prophet named Agabus that a famine was coming. This famine hit Jerusalem and Judea, Jerusalem's province, pretty hard during the reign of Emperor Claudius, and this was in 41 to 54 AD. Ancient writers mention at least four famines, two in Rome, one in Greece, and one in Judea. Those believers that knew of the famine sent as much relief to them from their own means as they could, and they sent it with Barnabas and Paul to the elders. This is the first mention of elders. As we can see, and we will see, uh, in the doctrine of church, these are the leaders of the church. This is a common name for a pastor in the, in the New Testament. Uh, they're also called overseers, shepherds, and there's one or two instances of the actual pastor. Um, but they were shepherds over the church. We do and should have elders today. Uh, prophets, on the other hand, can be argued that they have faded from our time. The word of God is completed, and so the work of a prophet is done. Now, why is this important? This also shows us the churches were generous within their means, according to their ability, for their hurting brethren. Jerusalem, who had no needs before, now was facing famine and needed help. Being generous as a church, as a ministry, as a people, is a great thing. You can be a blessing to others when God has been a blessing to you. This is the end of chapter 11. I hope you join us next time for chapter 12. Uh, as always, if you have any questions, you can go to our website, forthethirstysoul.com, and go to the contact page. And we look forward to speaking with you next time.